As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favor to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Toby Football Show, European Edition. Today, Champions League, Chelsea versus El Cholo and Atalanta at Real. Breaking news from Leipzig, break-in news from PSG. CR7 responds to critics and now that love is gone, will you take hold of my manshaft? That's the big question they're asking now at the DFB. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, everybody. It's the 16th of March. Woohoo. And I'm excited because I'm joined once again for a weekly update on all the continental football stories by James Horncastle. Hi, James. Alvaro Romeo. Hola, James. <laughs> Julian Laurence. Bonjour. And Raphael Honigstein. Hello, my lieber James. That's very kind of you, <laughs> Raphael. Sounds like you guys are up for this week as well, because not only do we have a big fat weekend of action to talk about, we've also got continental fixtures on the way midweek. And after last week, I can't wait. It was pretty tasty, wasn't it? Jules, how how was it for you behind the sofa for the Barca PSG game? It was hard. It was really hard. I didn't want to work. I wanted to turn it off. My children said like, come on, you know, you need to support them. Be, Be there for them kind of thing. I was sweating like... You could not imagine. In in the end, in the end, they went through. That's the most important. But they would have to play much, much better than they did in that second leg, first half, especially if they want to go further in the competition. Right. We'll talk about PSG a bit later on. They're a big story for this week. Dortmund very nearly came unstuck against Sevilla. How about that? Well, Sevilla played really well, but um, Dortmund had Erling Haaland. And that was the difference of the two legs. The truth is that uh, Sevilla did everything they had to to win that game, but uh, they didn't have a player like Haaland. And as Lopetegui said, and I know that football is not measured in these terms, but he said that they were better for three halves during this tire, but 
Dortmund just killed the Tiger effectively in the first half at Sevilla. So that was difficult to take for, for them and difficult to take for Barcelona as well, even though there were some positives in Paris. Okay. How many halves were Juve better than Porto for, James? Well, they didn't lead in any of them. Uh, and I think that's the, the big surprising thing, isn't it? Um, well, at least on aggregate. Um, because uh, they hit the post, they hit the bar, they had that uh, Pepe sort of getting in the way of Chiesa, um, scoring a hat-trick. You had then, of course, the wall, uh, which is probably the most memorable uh, thing from that game with Cristiano doing you know, what has been sort of likened to his goal celebration where he jumps huh. in the air and spins and kind of spreads his legs. Mm. And uh, in this in, in this eventuality, the ball went uh, right through them and uh, snuck in at Wojciech Szczesny's goal. goal. So uh, embarrassing night for, for Juventus, particularly, I suppose. I mean, there was no shortage of uh, schadenfreude uh, given uh, Andrea Agnelli's address to the ECA, uh, the, the I think the previous day. And, uh, and something that has brought a lot of scrutiny, a lot of criticism of Cristiano. I don't think it was a criticism of Cristiano uh, in terms of, is this guy actually a talented player? Of course he's a talented player. You know, he's he's just surpassed Pele's record. He's won the Ballon d'Or five times. He's won the Champions League as many times as that as well. It's uh, it's about the performance on the night and, and just generally whether Juventus have, have actually got better with him in the team, which, you know, given their results in Europe, isn't the case. Indeed not. We're going to talk about Cristiano, of course, but Agnelli's touting of Van der Sar's plan for the Swiss system, the Swiss league system for the Champions League. Has that received as much criticism in other countries as it has in England, Jules? There was a lot of jokes made about Andrea Agnelli, uh, you know, when they had that press conference, when some of his ideas came through. And then the fact that on the night his teams got knocked out by Porto in the way they did, I think... It was just a bad day for Andrea Agnelli. But the, the French, which is very paradoxical because in the new system, they get an extra team in the Champions League. We'll have four instead of three, which we deserve because we're world champions and we've got the best league in the world. So, But but I thought it was a bit harsh from the French to moan at the new proposal and at Andrea Agnelli's position and the Super League, etc. when we actually are very lucky to get an extra space when we don't really deserve it. I think it just went to underline the kind of hypocrisy running throughout uh, European football at every level, I think. Because ultimately, you know, people, people pointed out that uh, Juventus have been knocked out by Lyon, Ajax and Porto. Well, those three teams are kind of a big part of Agnelli's plans. You know, he wants them to be a more regular part of uh, European football and to have more regular access to uh, the money that... Uh, Juventus, Bayern Munich, and others uh, enjoy on a on a on a yearly basis. And and, and again, um, you know, you have those kind of oligarchic, aristocratic, elitists uh, at Ajax are the ones who are actually proposing this uh, this Swiss Swiss system uh, reform. So you know, I don't think it's entirely fair some of the flack that Agnelli's got, but he has you know put himself in a position to be the lightning rod for this over the last few years. Um, and we'll have to we'll have to see what what happens with these European football reforms, which were said to be in, imminent uh, Wait, at the at the beginning of the week. It's an interesting take that you have on this Swiss league and and how much it helps uh, clubs that a lot of people feel it, it doesn't help. Some of his suggestions did seem pretty low wattage, though. Uh, oh no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not doubting that. I just think um, there has been 
in some respect, a mischaracterization of some of his comments when it comes to who exactly would uh, th- these reforms would be to the detriment of. Right. They certainly wouldn't be to the detriment of Ajax, Leon or Porto. How, uh, how likely is it that we will actually see this pretty weird system of a Swiss league with how many teams is it? Over 36 teams is it, but only playing 10 games each? So how you work out which fixtures everyone plays is an interesting point. But how likely is it that this is actually going to be the future of the Champions League? Well, I think the basic gist of the reforms is quite likely to, to happen with the extended group stage and uh, that random, if you will, uh, fixture list. But there's still a big wrangle over the extra four places that would come guaranteed for successful clubs whether they qualify or not domestically that's the big sticking point because a lot of the bigger leagues are saying that completely devalues our our competition if uh, you have six teams from the Premier League let's say qualify because two are historically good enough to to be in whatever happens Liverpool for example would be a prime example what is the point of having that race for top four um, so I still think that there's a chance that that part of the reforms will not come through, which I think it would be would be terrible if it was accepted because I think it would devalue the the domestic leagues even more. Well, it is quite obvious to to me that all the pressure that they put there with the Super League was going to trigger some changes in the Champions League format, but uh, I think that it has to be answered now uh, how we're going to integrate four more games in a very congested calendar. I think that this is one of the key moments now. I mean, how are they going to do it exactly? And how will the leagues accept it? Because Agnelli, and uh, I believe that he has spoken about this uh, in the past before, he said that it would be preferable to have 18 teams in uh, the top flight. And, uh, you know, that uh, change is not going to happen in La Liga, according to Javier Tebas, for example. Certainly the recent knockout stages, at least to the Champions League, I think people feel that pretty good system they have so quite why there's the necessity to tear it up and uh, but that wouldn't change that part of the competition wouldn't change okay it would be the group stage it's the group stage Hmm. fair enough but even that to be fair sounds a lot better than a a swiss league still it's not the swiss league by the way swiss model (laughs) it's a swiss model it's nothing to do with the swiss league This is what no, Basel and Young is, Boys, you know, it's right. so popular there. It's actually going to bring in Swiss teams to play the chess. Champions League. That's not. <laughs> it's from it's from chess. It's not because of the Swiss League play that way. All right then. Yeah. More more on that story. <laughs> <laughs> no, but back to the just just very quickly back uh, yep. back to the calendar. I mean, yep. you should know now that uh, during the next international break, uh, Spanish second division won't stop. So the calendar is that congested already. There are many international players playing in the Spanish second division uh, who will be either traveling with their countries or staying because the clubs don't let them go. But isn't there like 50 clubs in the Spanish second division or something? Is there it because two... they've got a huge, huge amount no, of that's, clubs? No, that's the, that's the third division. In the second one, we have um, 24 teams at the minute. Jules, come on. 22. No, I was just asking. I was just asking. <laughs> now, you're thinking of the Swiss... Swiss, yeah, Swiss games. Grasshoppers. Do you know the Swiss game? <laughs> yeah. All right then. Moment of the weekend with Paddy Power, Alvaro. Well, the moment of the weekend is obviously not how prolific La Liga has been. We have had so far twelve goals, but Barcelona is yet to play. I could say that 
is the fact that Atletico de Madrid are dropping so many points that suddenly Real Madrid and Barcelona see themselves in the very advantageous position of having to fight for a title that they thought that they, they, it was gone. And uh, Real Madrid did the job against Elche, beating them 2-1 in the weekend, and suddenly they are quite close to Atletico de Madrid, only... Six points separate uh, both teams, and uh, let's not forget that Barcelona and Atletico have to play each other, and uh, some points will be dropped as well over there. So the main point here is that I Liga, and uh, I reiterate this again, Atletico are blowing it. Interesting. Rafa? Well, I think the, the bit of the weekend that really mattered came before the games actually started, James. On Friday morning, um, a pretty big bombshell exploded in, in German media um, news that Ralf Rangnick was prepared, in, at least in principle, to come back to Schalke for a third time to take over as a sporting director and to save them uh, from their imminent uh, descent into, um, well, chaos. They will go down. He, he won't be able to save them from that. But the idea is that he comes back, takes them back up, and then does a similar job that he was able to do at Hoffenheim and Leipzig just to build structures and a system um, and find the right players to to give them a future again. It's complicated by the fact that the people that he's talking to are not actually in charge at Schalke because there's elections going on at the supervisory board and he's talking to the rebels rather than to the incumbents. And now the incumbents are under pressure to get him in. But of course, they kind of resist that because that initiative came from outside the club, as it were all sorts of political intrigue and uh, and a huge story. Okay, and one that uh, impacts on another, a big German story at the moment, as we'll see uh, shortly, uh, Julienne. Well, James, it's the dramatic scenes in Paris on Sunday night, not just the defeat against Nantes at the Parc des Princes when they could have gone top of the table, but more what happened uh, in the Di, Mar- Di Maria house and the Marquinhos' father's house, parents' house, where they got burglared, uh, some quite violently, uh, but everybody clearly under shock, and Di Maria even had to leave the, the game uh, halfway through, it was substituted by Marshal Pochettino to come home and rush to his family. OK, more on that uh, to come. And James Horncastle. Well, James, I'm gesturing to my ear to see if you're listening um, because I've been listening to all the criticism of Cristiano Ronaldo in the last week. And uh, you know what? I'm going to answer those critics by scoring a hat-trick. A hat-trick when it really matters mm. against Cagliari in Sardinia. A relegation-battling Cagliari side. Perfect hat-trick, left, right, header should have been sent off before I scored any of those goals but it doesn't matter because Cristiano is back the totally football show European editions moment of the weekend brought to you by Paddy Power defenses may be looking shaky at the moment but Paddy's offers are rock solid if one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down get a free bet max free bet 10 pounds minimum odds one to five per leg online exclusive no shop bets t's and c's apply 18 plus be gambleaware.org all right, Champions League coming up this week as well. Tuesday, Real Madrid hosting Atalanta Real with a 1-0 lead from the game in Bergamo. And Borussia Mönchengladbach will be putting their six-game losing streak to the test with a visit from Man City, who are 2-0 up from the first leg there. Wednesday, Chelsea hosting Atletico's side, who they beat 1-0 in Bucharest in the away leg. And Bayern host Lazio, who they beat 4-1, actually in Rome. Right. Let's start with one of Tuesday's games, the very intriguing-looking Real Madrid against Atalanta. Last time you will recall, the match took a decisive turn with the red card for Freuler 17 minutes in. Atalanta hanging on gamely until 
that late, late goal from uh, oh, Ferland Mendy, of course. Uh, Real Madrid thus with the away goal to take into this clash at the Bernabeu. How confident are you, Alvaro, after they needed those late Benzema goals to scrape past Elche at the weekend? Moderately confident. I think that Real Madrid, they are back to the form they had back in June when they ended up winning the title, which is uh, some certain form that starts with a really good goalkeeper and a really good defensive line. Sergio Ramos is back, by the way. And then uh, they are dominant in midfield because they've got Casemiro, Modric and uh, Tony Cross playing very well. The problem is that at against Atalanta, the most important player of Real Madrid, Casemiro, won't be there because he's suspended. And yet, of course, I want to see Atalanta playing 90 minutes with 11 men to start with because uh, um, it was difficult to see the magnitude of Atalanta against Real Madrid last time. But I do believe that Real Madrid is going to, going to do the job because... They know how to put a professional display. All these things said, let's not forget that Real Madrid decision. They have lost at home against Cadiz or Levante. So that gives, obviously, Atalanta some hint in there. Real Madrid have been doable this season, at least at some stage in this season, and they should go for them, definitely. Atalanta have a terrific record on the road as well, don't they, uh, James? They've won their last five away games in the Champions League, including victory at Anfield. What do you make of their prospects this time? Yeah, I think that victory at Anfield actually came before Anfield's fortress-like status disappeared. But yeah, they won there. They won in Amsterdam as well uh, against Ajax. Um, you know, I, I think looking back on the first leg, you know, recalling what Gasparini and, and some of the players were saying afterwards, they were confident on on the showing how they'd kind of nullified Madrid, that they could go there and do something. Um, I think they are realistic about how difficult it is. Um, yeah, they still admire and kind of respect the, the individual talent that, that Madrid have got. But yeah, there's, there's the possibility of seeing an entire game with Duvan Zapata and Muriel up front. One of them had to make way when Freud got sent off in the, in the first leg. Uh, likewise with Josip Ilicic, who was uh, substituted on and then substituted off. Um, yeah, that, that was unusual. I, I don't think we'll see something like that again. Maybe we'll get to see the best of, of Ilicic and we'll have to because yeah, that was one of the reasons why they won at Anfield uh, against Liverpool in the Champions League. Uh, it was a good performance from him. Um, so Atlanta are the best prospect uh, of an Italian team making the quarterfinals yet again, uh, as was the case last year uh, when they made the final eight and were knocked out cruelly late. Uh, by uh, by Paris Saint Germain and Chupa Moting, so I think they've I, th I think they've still got a very strong chance, just because I think they they have the kind of style that no one likes to play against, and they can score goals and they take risks, which you know unfortunately other Italian teams haven't been able to do in uh, in Europe for a, for a couple of years now. Three one winners on Friday, Atalanta against Spezia with a wonderful goal uh, from Luis Muriel. Real Madrid have gone out. In the 16s, what is it, the last two seasons? Yes, Alvaro? exactly. 2019 against Ajax and 2020 against Manchester City. Hmm. 
And Eden Hazard is not uh, in the match day squad, I wanted to say. I mean, it was unlikely that he was going to feature, let alone be in the lineup. But still, there was a little bit of a possibility in there. Well, he's got another muscle injury, this time in his right psoas, which is the muscle that connects the adductor with the, with the stomach muscles. And uh, yeah, uh, he won't be available for the game. And again, I mean, this guy is... Uh, suffering from an ordeal when it comes to injuries and uh, you know I have been talking to some Real Madrid fans lately and basically they have thrown the towel with Eden Hazard they think that he will never be the player that he was at Chelsea well hopefully there is some hope and uh, we'll be able to see in Spain the caliber of a player we saw in England perhaps so only managed 15 minutes at the weekend for Real Madrid before uh, going out injured yet again Jules were you about to hazard an opinion over who's going to go through between Atalanta and Real Madrid? <laughs> I was not impressed by Real Madrid at all. I mean, I hear what Alvaro is saying about the defence, but I thought they considered chances and they considered a goal to start with on set pieces on Saturday against Elche. Elche, by the way, earlier in the season at Christmas, who caused them also trouble and they couldn't draw 1-1 against them already. So I think I agree with, with James. I think Atalanta have a chance. They will have to be very efficient and keep Karim Benzema quiet, which is really hard because he saved Real Madrid again at the weekend. But it's, for me, it's maybe not 50-50 because Real Madrid have that advantage from the first leg. So 60-40, but very much Atalanta still in the tie. All right then. Rafi, you don't do uh, predictions. So let me instead ask you about Tuesday's other game, Manchester City against Borussia Mönchengladbach at the Puskas Arena. When the draw for this tie was made back in December, City and Gladbach were both seventh in their respective league. City are now top very much of the Premier League. Gladbach down in tenth after their sixth straight defeat at the weekend. 3-1 at Augsburg. Yikes. Uh, a partner asking, will Rosa be sacked or should he leave voluntarily now? I don't think he will be sacked because Max Eberl has um, come out very strongly and supported him. And it's sort of his name on the line to a certain extent. And he still has the, the trust and confidence of the wider board as well as the supporters. Of course, you know, after six defeats in a row, and I think a seventh is is incoming, unfortunately. I uh, can't really see any other result on Tuesday night. It gets to the point where maybe something new is 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 necessary. But I think the intention still is to finish what was still a pretty good couple of years for Gladbach you know finishing Champions League last year which was a huge success getting through the group stage this year which was a huge success of course domestic form has now tanked uh, and his departure will leave uh, a bitter taste but they want to I think finish this chapter without kind of him suffering the um, the inconvenience or the the, the bad denouement of having to leave his post even earlier so I think they they will try to keep keep it going as long as possible but of course if things don't improve then it might get to the point where they just feel that they have to do it don't they also have to keep him so they get the release clause money from Dortmund then because if you sack him now technically he would join Dortmund on a free in the summer right whereas if he's still under contract with you they still have to pay you to get him out and sign for them no no, because they could just suspend him, send him on gardening leave for the next two months, and he would still be technically ah, okay, under contract. Yeah. That would be a rose gardening um, leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, City, who have gone 616 minutes so far without conceding a goal in the tournament. That's a remarkable statistic. 
Uh, of course, it was uh, Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus who did the damage last time out. Do you see Gladbach scoring, Rafa? I don't see why not. I mean, Pep did his Pep thing, praising Gladbach. You know, they're so good. They have these massive weapons, and he meant it in a positive way uh, up front. And uh, he has so much respect for them. The counterattacks. Um, yeah. And to be fair to him, Gladbach did actually play quite well in the attacking sense against uh, Augsburg. You wouldn't know from the result because they lost 3-1 on Friday night, but but they created so many chances and should have scored. And it's going to be difficult because City keep the ball and Gladbach, I think, only had 39%, which was, I think, one of the lowest uh, throughout the whole season in the first leg. I think it's unlikely. All right, well... It's going to be a tough night ahead, Tuesday for Gladbach as they host uh, Man City. Uh, of course, there's Wednesday action as well. We'll be getting into that shortly, but a bit more German news next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. That's the track on repeat at the DFB after Yugi Löw announced he'll be leaving Germany in the summer, leaving the job that he has held for 14 years now. There are Borussia Dortmund players who weren't even conceived when he started as Mannschaft manager. Of course, he was uh, on the bench even before that alongside our old friend uh, Jürgen Klinsmann. What's prompted him to decide that enough is enough, Rafa? I think he understood that uh, him being there would focus a lot of the bad vibes and negativity onto him and make it very difficult for for the national team to have a peaceful um, and harmonious way into the Euros and of course be also very fraught as far as the pressure was concerned during the Euros. By basically axing himself, he's put himself in a position where you can't really kill him a second time, metaphorically speaking, and there's actually now a lot of positivity coming out. And uh, now the, the talk of it is about um, ensuring that he will have a, a decent um, farewell, that his era, and it was an era, is coming to a, um, you know, acceptable end. And uh, there's been a bit of sort of positive momentum behind him because people have understood that it was the right decision for him. And I think it renders him in a strange way more powerful because he can now do whatever he wants without any fear of repercussions or even much negativity because... You know, any criticism that you might have for him is irrelevant because he's off anyway in, in three months so or three and a half months. Um, so it was a good move, um, but of course it's created a bit of a problem for the FA. Uh, they have to present a successor and all the big names that they want, with the exception of one, are not currently available. Um, Jurgen Klopp ruled himself out uh, last week. Hansi Flick didn't rule himself out quite categorically, left it fairly open, but he's still under contract for 2023 at Bayern. 
Um, there's no realistic chance of Nagelsmann or Tuchel. So that really leaves Flick still as the most uh, promising candidate because Ralf Rangnick, who is available, is perhaps slightly too difficult a character to get on with inside a German FA who want everything to be quite ordered and, and, and comfortable and in straight lines. I think there's a fear that Rangnick would come and, and rip up the the rule book and start again and put a lot of noses out of joint. Whereas Flick is the opposite. Flick having worked as the assistant of Löw, as the sporting director of the German FA before that, would effectively be the continuity candidate. And that's what they always love to do at the FA. Remember, Löw was the assistant of Klinsmann. Uh, and not many people thought he'd be up for the job when he was actually promoted back in 2006. So it seems as if Flick will take it. But of course, that then creates a problem for Bayern. And they're now in the market for a successor, uh, tentatively. And they are beginning to sound out Julian Nagelsmann, who I think would, would not be adverse to, to making that move. Bayern are his favorite club from his um, boyhood growing up just outside the city. And that now puts on the, just moves along the intray, if you will, to RB Leipzig, who now have to then, well, it's not done yet, but if it were to happen, now have they have to now look for a for successor. So a lot of domino pieces falling or about to fall, just still still sort of shaking, and um, huge repercussions for a lot of the clubs involved. Absolutely, I'm astonished though that you you feel that it's so likely that Hansi Flick would would get up and leave this club where he's been in this astonishing success story, Bayern Munich. Yes, but behind the scenes, it's been a constant battle between him and Hassan Salihamidzic, the sporting director. Um, Hansi Flick is somebody who doesn't enjoy conflict very much. Um, he's often in his uh, post playing career left when he felt that he couldn't really uh, do his job without interference. And at Bayern, there's always interference, but especially in this case with him and Hassan Salem, just just not seeing eye to eye on on almost every big decision. And while financially, and maybe in terms of sporting success, it would almost certainly be a downgrade. I think in terms of sort of job satisfaction and maybe work-life balance, it would be an upgrade because you only have a few games every year. You can live, you can live in his uh, hometown village in Bamental and just enjoy a very comfortable lifestyle with lots of people that he's already worked with and who who value him. So I think that's the that's the appeal. And my my guess is if Bayern do indeed manage to bring in Nagelsmann as a replacement, they wouldn't even mind him leaving that much. Good lord! So. Flick on the man shaft might lead to a happy finish for everyone. Interesting. Uh, Bayern in the meantime. Sorry. <laughs> yes. In the meantime, Bayern uh, under Hansi Flick extending their lead in the Bundesliga this weekend, Rafa, with a 3-1 victory over Werder Bremen at Werder Bremen. Lewandowski on the score sheet, uh, which means he's now needing nine to break a good Muller's record with nine games left in the season. A Bayern now four points clear of Leipzig after RB drew 1-1 with Frankfurt. That brings to an end Leipzig's six-game winning streak. Leaves Frankfurt still fourth, 
but they now have Borussia Dortmund just two points behind them in the race for Champions League places after Dortmund beat Hertha 2-0. Rafa. Yeah, and this is Hertha, uh, you know, having spent uh, the best part of 250 million euros, now being just one point clear of the relegation places. Um, it is slightly funny. It is so strange because it had that a sense is, oh, we have Pardare as a coach. You know, he knows how to sort things out. We'll be stable. We'll be fine. The fixture list is not too bad. But I don't know how many weeks they want to keep up this this kind of optimism. Um, it's looking pretty bad. And I don't know if Lars Vintors, the investor, will not walk away if had to go down and he has no realistic prospect of, of seeing a return of his investment. Will he pump in more money? I mean, this is it's a pretty calamitous situation to be in for a club that was aiming for, you know, big city status among the best of European football. Um, now it looks more like Sandhausen and Meppen in Bundesliga 2 next year. Crikey. So that, that's, a, that's a big story. Um, but it's, this big story is happening everywhere because the, the race is really interesting up front uh, at the top and uh, down at the bottom. Now that Mainz has started winning, Bielefeld have won um, again. It's congested. And yeah, there's this interesting stuff happening. Interesting. Raf at the bottom. Schalke, of course, propping the entire division up. A 5-0 defeat for them this weekend. But the prospects of Raf Ragnick coming in to shake everything up. Yeah, and it's it's difficult to overstate just how big a story this is in Germany. You know, Schalke, traditionally maybe the third biggest club in, in Germany. Um, Ralf Rangnick, somebody who won the cup with them in 2011, who took them to the semi-final of the of the Champions League against uh, against all the odds, that famous five to win um, against Inter in San Siro, and he is seen as the savior. He is seen as the strong. Man, the you know the the, the cult hero, the, the iconic person that can take this chaotic club and not just take them back up from Division Two because they are going down. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but actually take them back into the um, top third and uh, change them from being a byword for sort of incompetence and disorganization into a very stable and, and well-loved club. And I think. A lot of people might think Rangnick is crazy to touch such a basket case or to want to want to go there. But for him, there's a very strong emotional bond because the big successes have happened at clubs that weren't really clubs before he got there. You know, he built up Hoffenheim, was like a startup club, literally from a village. RB Leipzig was sort of drawn up quite artificially and he took them through the through the leagues. But Schalke is is a big, iconic, historic club. And the love he would receive from hundreds of thousands of fans would provide a kind of emotional closure almost and, and crowning moment, a crowning glory to his career. And I think that's the, that's the appeal for him. And apparently, he's even prepared to forsake a huge amount of wages that he would otherwise make at other clubs simply to come in and help turn Schalke around. And that's why you have a, seen a huge outpouring of support. Uh, Schalke Ultras or Schalke fans, we don't know if it's the Ultras, but sh- certainly some Schalke fans put up a banner outside the ground or near the ground saying, you know, the, the supervisory board has to bring back Ralf Rangnick. So there's a lot of, a lot of action. The, the only problem is, and it's quite a significant one, 
is that people that he's talked to and said, yes, I'm willing to do this, they're not actually in charge of the club. They're more sort of a rebel faction who want to take over the club. And Ralf Rangnick is sort of the, he's the figurehead, if they can make it happen, who will lead this new Schalke towards a happier future. But the existing people, the, the people, the incumbents, they haven't actually approached Ralf Rangnick yet. But there's huge public pressure on them to make that move. So it might still, within all the Schalke madness, not work out for him to, to come back. It's going to be really interesting the next few weeks what's going to happen there. Excellent stuff. All right, well, next up, let's get on to Wednesday's games. Of course, Bayern Munich taking on Lazio and also Chelsea Atletico. And they're off. The plucky youngster on the inside has started fast. Number seven now going down the outside. The big fella in the middle is racing to make up the ground. A late charge and across the line. Yes, the ball is across the line. Excellent header from the big fella. To celebrate an unbelievable week of racing and football, get a completely free £5 bet on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of Cheltenham and a £5 risk-free bet builder on Chelsea v Atletico Madrid. Paddy Power. Max one, £5 free bet per customer per day. Racing free bets available 48 hours before first race each day. Pre-match bet builder bets only. Minimum legs two plus. Max cash refund £5 if it loses. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Wednesday night at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea taking on Atletico. Just the one goal between them after the first leg. Courtesy of that man, Olivier Giroud, Jules. Great goal, one of the goals of the season until uh, Eric uh, Rabonano Meglamela scored the one he did at the Emirates on Sunday. Mm. All right. Well, both of these two sides, Chelsea and Atletico, fresh from goalers' draws at the weekend. Uh, Chelsea with leads, to many people's surprise. Getafe holding Atletico Madrid to a nil-nil, which, as you mentioned earlier, Alvaro, has seen Atleti's lead narrow still further. Real Madrid six points behind them now. Barcelona on Monday night, we're recording this on Monday lunchtime, uh, will be playing bottom of the table, Huesca. So a win there would see the Catalans. Moved to just four points back. Atleti's run by now, Alvaro, is, uh, what's it, three wins in the last nine games? Yes. It's, uh, it's looking quite chronic. You can count it uh, many different ways. Uh, I have 13 points out of the last 24. Over the last eight games, we have seen Atletico de Madrid drop in their form. I think that this was something that uh, nobody expected. Uh, we all knew that Atletico making 50 points uh, in the first half of the season was a little bit of an oddity, but still, they were far superior to Real Madrid and Barcelona, at least domestically, for a long time this season. But uh, all the things that uh, happened to be working for them in the first half of the season are not working now. I think that uh, at the beginning of the season, they didn't have many injury concerns. Uh, they have had some in February in key moments of the season. I think that they depend a lot on Luis Suarez, much more than they would want to. Even though Luis Suarez was signed to score those 20-25 goals that will give Atletico de Madrid a lift, they didn't think that Joe Felix and Correa uh, were going to be so poor when it comes to scoring. So I think that there is a dependence on Luis Suarez that Simeone talked about at the beginning of the season. He said literally that uh, playing with Suarez obliges us to supply him, meaning that all the team has to be closer to him because otherwise Luis Suarez doesn't have a huge impact in the game. And Atletico are playing, if they want Suarez to sign, they have to play with all the defense line and the midfielders, you know, forward or more ahead. So I think that, you know, there is no reason to press the panic button at Atletico de Madrid. 
I believe that against Chelsea they will still have a chance because they have uh, some players that they didn't play in the first leg. Uh, the likes of Kieran Trippier and Yannick Carrasco make a difference. I think that Moussa Dembele can be the answer to the over-dependence on Luis Suarez as well. He didn't score against Getafe, but he managed to get a really good couple of chances. And David Soria, the Getafe goalkeeper, just denied him. But I believe that Atletico will have to play against their nature at the Stamford Bridge. Uh, their favorite game will be one like uh, they had a year ago against Liverpool at Anfield. They get a quick lead at home, then they have to defend it away. And that worked for them last season, even though Liverpool deserved much more. But this time, Atletico de Madrid will have to change their custom and they will have to attack more from the beginning. Uh, probably they won't lose their mind. I don't think that they do that. Uh, but they have to go for a goal. And this is something that Atletico normally doesn't fancy to do or it doesn't come naturally from them. So I think it's going to be quite intriguing because they will have to play more forward, definitely with a bit more appetite than the game against Chelsea. And if they don't beat Chelsea, if they get disqualified from the Champions League, you will have to put a question tag on Simeone. Because last season in the Champions League, uh, Atletico pretty much lost against Leipzig because they weren't adventurous enough until Joao Felix came in. And this season, they went for the nil-nil at home against Chelsea, but that plan only works if you get the right result. Otherwise, the critics will spark everywhere because you basically threw away one leg. And this is what Atletico did the first time. Mm. They have the kind of players who could get them an early goal at Stamford Bridge, Alvaro. But from the sound of it, you don't fancy much of their chances to go through. No, I, I think that is still pretty tight, but there are some signs in there that tell you that Atletico de Madrid is no longer the super dangerous team that they were in Europe. Do you know how many Champions League games they have won since they lost against Leipzig in the last Champions League? So basically, in this season's Champions League, they have only beaten Salzburg twice. They couldn't beat Bayern. They didn't beat Lo Lokomotiv Moscow, which was much more concerning. And against Chelsea, they already saw that uh, they suffer a lot when they play against the top quality team. So, you know, uh, even though they are the Spanish leaders, uh, they have been, as Real Madrid and Barcelona, much more comfortable domestically. When they have to use, the, use their passport and go away to Europe, then uh, you start seeing what's the real level of the Spanish clubs right now. I'm not saying that they are not going to beat Chelsea, but this is the first in the Spanish La Liga against the fourth in the Premier League. And the other time, uh, two weeks or three weeks ago, at Chelsea look a better team. Right. Richard David Pike asks, if Atletico Madrid were to blow La Liga after having a 10-point lead plus, would it go down as the biggest choke in Liga history, especially considering Barca and Real are considerably weaker than five years ago? Richard says if it happened, it would remind him of Newcastle's collapse in 95-96. I can... The answer is yes to that. I think that that would be the, the biggest blow uh, because no club has... Uh, wasted such an advantage, point, point advantage in uh, La Liga history. But I think that uh, there was another very famous one in 2007 when Barcelona was a La Liga leader and then uh, there was a goal from Tamudo, from Espanyol, taking the title of Barcelona basically and Real Madrid did a top remontada. So definitely it will be the biggest remontada, in, remontada, the biggest comeback of a team or the biggest loss of a, of a lead in the last 13 or 14 years. Definitely yes. It would be Sven-esque, eh, James? What were they? Oh, nine? yeah. Lecce, nine? Roma. Right. Or even with Lazio, what were they, nine points ahead with seven games to go? <laughs> wow, so we've just named two. Yeah. <laughs> two Sven-inspired Sven uh, collapses. Magnificent. Okay. <laughs> Manchester right, United in uh, 20, 2012, they also dropped a lot of points at the end. Do you remember? 
the Aguero season. Uh, 2012, yeah. Mm. 2012, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, have you got Chelsea going through, everyone? Jules, James? I do, yeah. I just think defensively they're, they're, they're so strong right now and I, I'm just not sure Atletico have enough. They certainly have enough talent Atletico to score. I just don't think they've got enough going forward in, in the sense of knowing how to attack a team like Chelsea who manages leads and, and games in general very well. And and Chelsea don't even have to score even, so which, which they love doing, not scoring but not conceding. It's one of those years where Chelsea go to the Champions League final, isn't it? <laughs> and they beat PSG on the way. Tuchel would beat PSG in the quarterfinals. Sacked AVB right and Di Matteo came in. It's yeah. it's happening again. They've got the de- they've got the defensive solidity that yeah, a lot of top teams just don't have. Tuchel was there in the final last year. He's going back. Yeah, I think it's I think Chelsea are going to be there. We just need the Ryan Bertrand back to make the story perfect, James. Playing in the final. (laughs) The other game on Wednesday is the rather less delicately poised Bayern Lazio. Lazio finally got a win at the weekend after a rotten run of form. They beat Crotone, Susie Cosmi's Crotone 3-2. Bayern, as mentioned, 3-1 winners at Werder. Bayern in absolutely terrific form. Bayern, have they got themselves back to the same kind of state of excellence they were in last season, Rafa? Not quite, because they still concede too many chances and, and too many goals as a result. Um, Bremen was another one of those games where they were completely in control, but then just a little bit sloppy. Also, every time they make substitutions, the quality of the starting eleven really goes down. I mean, there are one or two positions where they have depth on the wings when you have Gnabry and uh, Sané and uh, Coman, you can rotate. But as soon as the likes of uh, Buonasar or Chupomoting or uh, Mark Rocca come on, it's not quite the same Bayern. What does work better now, though, is their pressing game. And that makes a big difference because, you know, if you play a high line, if you press, but you don't do it well, then um, you're very, very open. And that's one of the reasons why around Christmas and maybe just beyond that, they were very, very shaky and had some bad results. Now it seems to be working a lot better but it's also perhaps no coincidence that uh, Thomas Müller has also now returned after his coronavirus break, enforced one, because he leads that pressing and he coaches everyone around him and he makes a huge difference in terms of the organization, but also the energy that he brings and the authority. Um, so I think it's, it's unlikely that we'll see a big remontada in the Alianza Arena on Wednesday. All right then. Rafa, lovely stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, next up on this Totally Football Show European edition, hey, let's hear from Jules. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Oh! 
Le deuxième but pour Moses Simon. Je la pousse la voix, Jérémy, sur ce deuxième but. Deuxième but. Et le FC Nantes qui prend l'avantage sur la pelouse du Parc des Princes. France. Jules, rough Sunday night for Paris Saint-Germain. Hosting 19th place Nantes. They took the lead, fell apart in the second half and ended up with a second straight defeat at home. In the meantime, Angel Di Maria was being raced off down the tunnel by Pochettino because the thieves were busy breaking into his house. Yeah, pretty incredible, James. The, the defeat to start with, uh, because it was since 2002 they hadn't lost at home against Nantes. This was a Nantes team that had been struggling, as you said. Remember the, the whole Raymond Dominic uh, disastrous era. Now it's Antoine Comboire, the former PSG manager, former PSG player, who is their coach, very much like a, a French Samaladice, if you want, like the... Uh, you know, the, the fireman coach that comes in to try to rescue you, not to go down. Uh, and so far, he's doing a, a decent job with, with Nantes, but no one saw that one coming. Not have a, one really good player, especially up front, called uh, Randal Colomouani, who is a Paris-born and bred kid who grew up in Bondy, like Kylian Mbappé. Uh, they were neighbours. And who scored one, assisted another one, who should have had a penalty when the score was still nil-nil. So... A pretty old, the, the whole night was an absolute disaster for Pochettino and his players. All right, but even more so for Di Maria, who was one of, and, and Marquinhos, because both of them had their houses burgled during the game. Marquinhos' father was actually punched in the face by robbers, and his uh, two daughters and uh, his father were locked in a dressing room while thieves ransacked their, their residence. Uh, this, this, is this part of a worrying trend, Jules? It's something that we've had before. Thiago Silva's house has been burgled a couple of times. Uh, Chupa Moting, Sergio Rico. Many players are the targets of those thieves. There was, there's a famous case, the one who broke into Thiago Silva's house called the, the Cat. That was his nickname. Uh, a guy from the north of Paris who was just one of, the best, one of the best burglars ever, apparently. Uh, well, remember, remember the famous uh, Kardashian case as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone watches Keeping Up with the Kardashians, like I do, I mean, no, no, was... I don't. So, what was the famous case there? Well, she was she was, yeah, uh, was really attacked bad, when she was in Paris, and they stole the huge six million dollar ring that Kanye West gave to Kim. Yeah, they right. found they found the burglars, but they never found the ring again. So okay. we don't know where the ring is. But okay. um, but yeah, so the cat the cat was finally arrested. So that's not him doing this time. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we've had. We've had for a while those, those incidents, unfortunately, but never before we saw a sporting director from the director's box telling his managers on the pitch or pitch side to take a player off because his family was so much under shock that they wanted their father and husband back home to look after them after being in the house while the, uh, the burglary happened. They stole around half a million of jewelry and cash and watches and luxurious bags and things like that from the safe in the first floor of the the big house where the Di Marias live in the west suburbs of the capital. So it was, it was just incredible. And even when Di Maria came off, he was like, well, why are you doing, why are you taking me off after an hour when we, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, 1-1 at the time. So it was, it was just a crazy, crazy night. When this happened to him in Manchester, the story was that it formed a, a large part of his reasons for, for leaving Man United. Any suggestions that it might bring to an end a, a, a period with Paris Saint-Germain, which he's, he's just actually signed signed a yeah. new deal on. He has, yeah, because his, his contract expired in the summer. So he signed a new one-year deal. So he's now contracted until um, June 2022. 
maybe maybe he, he will decide not to uh, not to stay in Paris and I'm not sure what kind of impact this will have on him of course it's traumatizing for anyone who's ever been a victim something like that or your family uh, but yeah f- for the Dimarias and his wife and at the time in Manchester he had only one daughter and now he's got a second one as well since then uh, similar incident before in 2015 so let's see how he comes out of it but he hasn't said anything yet on social media for example and like Marquinhos who put a post out saying they're all fine uh, no one was no one suffered no one was really hurt so so you know he kind of said like it's, it's fine there was more clearly more fear than hurt done but for the Di Marias we, we're not sure yet in terms of uh, the on-field business, meanwhile, that's the seventh defeat for Paris Saint-Germain this season. And as I mentioned before, their second straight at home uh, and comes off the back of a performance that was seen as less than uh, inspiring against Barcelona. Uh, a 1-1 draw last week, which saw them, of course, go through, but a, a fairly controversial penalty kind of paving the way for Paris Saint-Germain in that one is... Um, is Pochettino getting any pressure right now? That's a question asked by our listener, Roger. And what's the feeling on the way PSG are playing underneath him? No, no not yet in terms of pressure or, you know, being sacked or anything like this. But certainly some disappointing result because that's, that's already third defeat. If you count the one in Lorient plus the last two at home, like you mentioned, James, uh, which is bad, which is really bad. Also, they, they could have gone top of the table. Now they're three points behind... Uh, behind Lille, level with Lyon. They go to Lyon on Sunday night in a huge game for them now when they could have gone there three points ahead of Lyon and, and in top spot. So really strange times at the club. That game against Barcelona was a disgrace for most of it, I thought. Uh, the way they played, the way Pochettino set them up, I think he made a lot of mistakes. But they went through, so I guess this is, this is the only news that you, you keep in mind and then you, you try to forget the rest. But it's certainly not going as well maybe as a lot of people thought it would. It feels like uh, when they appointed Ancelotti mid-season and you ended up having Montpellier as, as champions. Um, Jules, I mean, it, James asked about pressure on Pochettino. Uh, I doubt Leonardo uh, would come under pressure anyway. He seems to be untouchable uh, given he's back in his kind of second spell. But it, that was his decision to sack Tuchel, wasn't it? Um, is that getting some scrutiny if, if Pochettino is not, given how well Tuchel's doing and and how things have yet to really take off under under Poch, apart from that game against Barca at the Camp Nou. It's a good question. Not at the moment, but but you also know that with the Qatari owners, anything can happen also to Leonardo. Even if if he's the big boss now and and they do pretty much what he wants, like like Tuchel or like the recruitment in the summer, um, I think he would be judged on other things like making sure that Kylian Mbappe extends his deal and Neymar as well and all of that. Juan Bernard too, which which Bernard for sure will do, and for the other two, we will know, we will find out soon. <laughs> but but the, so there's, there's there's it's a big it's a it's a good question. I think they will give some time to Pochettino. He, he deserves it. They they need to anyway. But but certainly there's a feeling that they thought it would get better, or at least we would see a, a bigger difference than what we saw so far. We've seen so far. All right. Although it's it's clearly not easy coming into a club midway through a season. Anyway, PSG three points behind Lille, who drew nil nil at Monaco at the weekend. Uh, meanwhile, Marseille enjoying their second win out of two for their new manager Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, it was one one with Brest with eighty eight minutes gone, but they ended up three one winners. Remarkable stuff, Jules. Yeah, and they, they won it late in his first game 
against Rennes in midweek on Wednesday night. Similar thing. They, they didn't give up. They kept, kept playing, kept pushing. And then the substitution that he made in that first game against Rennes really worked with Luis Enrique assisting Michael Cuisance. And same things again. The subs made a big difference at the weekend uh, against Brest. Even if it's Tovin who scored in the 88, the second one. The third one was Cuisance on an assist from Luis Enrique again. So clearly, Sampaoli, there's still a lot of work to be done and they were not very good again. But they won't because they've got that, that mental strength, it seems now. That he certainly he shouts so much and he moves so much on the bench. It's, it's pretty incredible. But, but he's giving them that sort of extra bit of energy, if you want. He's so, he's so energetic himself that I guess when you see him on the touchline moving his arms and shouting and everything, you want to keep playing maybe more than before. I don't know. So good so far. The, the last manager to win two, his first two games at the club was Elibo back in 2012. So almost 10 years since the manager has done his first two. And Bob, by the way, won his first three as well. So let's see if Sampaoli can win again this weekend. OK. First goal in this game came from Milik. No surprise to see him appear with Brest. Milik know. and Brest, of course. Uh, Neuhaus. <laughs> Neuhaus asks, Abubakar Kamara looks an absolute gem. Ready to help, help out at a big club this summer. Where is he headed or will he extend? Jules. It's a great question and it's a great point. He's been one of Ligue 1's best players this season. He can play as a defensive midfielder, as a centre-back. He's so young as well, so there's still a lot of room for improvement. There's there's problem with his contract too, so I think eventually he will leave, although this is his club. You know, he went to the academy. He's a massive born and bred kid. Uh, I think any top club... Don't hear of them many. Don't, don't hear a lot of them. It's I mean, because there's... they don't have many. That's why. <laughs> uh, but he's certainly, certainly the one that they have who is really, really good. Uh, so I think, I think any top club should go for him because, as I said, he's got that versatility. He's a very intelligent kid. He's really strong as well and, and very down-to-earth. He's, he's, he's got already a, a child, for example, a, a young boy. So, so there's, there's a lot of maturity there too. I like him a lot. And I think sooner rather than later, Deschamps will call him up for the national team. And then I think the, the future is bright for him. He will leave at some point because he's, he's a Champions League player. He cannot play either the Europa League or even that new competition that UEFA will start next season. He needs mm, to play. The Swiss League. League. That's what they're calling it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, whatever it's called. You know, for teams that finish 7 or 8 in the league. Or mm-hmm. Conference League? The Conference, conference yeah, Cup. Yeah. Yeah. The Vanarama Champions League. Uh, that's the that's the Liga roundup if you came for the Liga roundup listener you're now free to go but if you'd like to stick around I've got one more thing oh there's here we go sorry no it's because it's a fun story that Jameson Castle uh, spotted as well and I love when he spots something from Liga and it's really funny but we had a big derby between Nîmes and Montpellier on Sunday they really hate each other uh, even if there was no fans and the, the nickname of, of the Nîmes team and the city as a whole is uh, Crocodiles because that's on their crest and as you know the Haribo suites have a little crocodiles of all different colours and when Andy Delors the Montpellier striker and Nil Nil scored the first goal of the game he celebrated by taking a, a little crocodile Haribo crocodile suites from his under his um, bracelet and eating from the camera like I'm eating a crocodile you know Damn. the only thing is that VAR disallowed the goal, so Andy Delors looked like an absolute tool. And then three minutes later, Nîmes scored the first goal of the game. So Karma hit him hard, to be fair. Wow. Well, how did they celebrate? Well, that's the thing. Montpellier doesn't really have a nickname, like an edible nickname, which is oh. a shame. What is the nickname? Uh, it's La Payade, but it's the name of the area where they, 
where they base, where they, the stadium is based. The Lepayadan. Yeah, you can, I guess. Uh, the law ended up scoring the equalizer. This one right. counted. He had no more crocodile to eat. Mm. But, but, but in the end, it was a fair result, but it was a funny uh, celebration. I fought Delors. Very good. Well, as I say, that's a Ligue 1 finish, but still to come, if you choose to stay with us, we'll hear lots of important stories from Italy with a bit of Europa League thrown in as well. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Ronaldo, area di rigore, solito gioco e poi il 3-0 di Ronaldo tripletta in 31 minuti. Come on then, James, let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. He responded to the debate over his validity, his relevance. Uh, with a terrific half hour and a perfect hat trick, as you mentioned, in Juve's 3 1 win away at Cagliari, but it, it doesn't really end the questions over his future. I think that the most important part, and also what, what impact spending all the money on him has maybe had on, on, on Juve's European prospects over the last couple of seasons. But what do you think right now the situation looks like? Karen asks, um, why is Cristiano Ronaldo called the future of Juventus by Paratici? Does this mean an inevitable Dybala summer sale? What, what do you think is going to happen this summer? Well, look, I mean, why I suppose Dybala and Ronaldo are paired together is because both of their contracts expire at the t- same time. So there's a sense that they kind of have to make a choice between them. Uh, their deals expire in the summer of, of 2022. Um, you know, from, from my point of view, I mean, the logical thing to do would be to extend Dybala's contract because Dybala is 10 years younger, um, still in his sort of uh, mid-20s, 27, I think. Um, and would obviously be a lot cheaper than Cristiano. But, you know, Cristiano is the reason why a lot of people watch Juventus, the reason why a lot of people watch Serie A. He's got them bigger commercial deals, but ultimately they signed him not to win against Cagliari. Um, they signed him to win uh, against the likes of, you know, Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid, uh, Manchester City, and Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League. And, and oh. so far that hasn't happened. Or at least Lyon and uh, and Porto. It was a really, really disappointing... His worst performance in a Juve shirt, certainly that, that, that I can recall, uh, last week. What about him? How much is he willing to stick around? There's been even talk of him making a return to uh, the Portuguese Liga Noche. I think it would be difficult to foresee him going back to Portugal. I mean, he was on the front page of the two Madrid papers, I think, Alvaro, um, during uh, last week. Uh, potentially, a sort of, yeah, a lot of speculation about him heading back to Real Madrid. Um, I know that uh, our friend on uh, Golatun, uh, Jules's mate at ESPN, Gab Marcotti, has, has also been talking about Manchester United as a, as a, as a possible destination. Um, I think there are two reasons why he may stay at Juventus um, and see out the final year of his contract. First is is, is very simple. 
no one can pay him, I don't think, what he gets at Juventus at the moment or is willing to pay him that in the current economic climate, which is 31 million euro a year net. Um, yeah, if PSG, for example, make the decision to renew both Mbappe and Neymar, you know, I think that's already a, a very big commitment from them. Barcelona and Real Madrid, I wouldn't think are in a position to do it. Um, United have need, um, but yeah, I've given this as a reason for him staying at Juventus. The other is, is, is again, linked to this. It's, it's the tax breaks that you still have in, in Italy, which facilitate um, him having a contract like that. Um, I, I don't think there are similar tax breaks uh, in in England, in Spain, in in, in France, uh, to, to 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 help with that. So, I think that's one of the reasons why, um, at the moment, Juventus say he constitutes the future of the club. It's why I think on Instagram he also gave the impression um, at the weekend that he was going to be sticking around, um, which I, th- I I think is actually surprising. Um, you know, were, were we not in the middle of a uh, in a in a pandemic, which has really kind of depressed the transfer market, you know, I think we would be hearing a lot more noise uh, around the future of of of, uh, of Ronaldo. But you know, James, I mean, I think you alluded to it earlier. The debate around Ronaldo, it's not whether he's a world class player who's kind of been one of the most important players of his generation. It's not about whether he was a good signing for Juventus or or should Juventus have signed him when they had the opportunity. I think. Yes, they they absolutely should have. It's about whether it's worked out. It's about whether it's taken them to the next level financially. It's about whether um, he's got them closer to winning the Champions League. And I think the financial gain of him being there is marginal. Um, It hasn't dramatically closed the gap with the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United and, and, and that sort of thing. And in terms of the Champions League, I mean, facts speak for themselves. You know, they've 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 gone out in the quarterfinals, round sixteen, round of sixteen. And they were so, finalists two of the four years before he arrived. Exactly. Does that all mean then that Dybala will be heading out again this summer? <laughs> well, I mean, this was one of the repercussions of signing Cristiano. Remember, in in after at the end of his first season, yeah, I think they they tried to move out Gonzalo Higuain he went on loan to Milan and then on loan to Chelsea and then was returned to Sendu and ended up sticking around because Maurizio Sarri became Juventus coach um, and that was a huge salary that they had to kind of eat um, and so when he was coming back they tried to move Dybala you know Manchester United and Spurs and then he dug his heels in and, and didn't want to leave and I think this is one of the things with Juventus in the last few years is they've become a destination as a club you know I remember uh, Andrea Agnelli speaking at towards the end of Pogba's time there saying look we are a stepping stone to a big Spanish club or one of the big English clubs I think that's changed you know I think players don't want to leave Juventus which is an issue when um, you know as we've seen in their latest financial results they've kind of foreshadowed selling players or the need to sell players in the in the next transfer window Dybala is at the, the stage in his contract uh, life cycle, if you want, going to the final year where they could make a lot of money on him. Um, there's a lot of profit to be had in in selling him. He's been a big miss this season. He's been he practically hadn't played at all. Um, I think that's one of the stories that needs to be, yeah, always considered when you're judging Andrea Pirlo because he was the reigning Serie A MVP. But you know, I think in terms of helping ease some of the strain on on on, on Juventus's accounts, I think. If someone was to come in for him and offer a lot of money, then they they would probably have to consider it, um, just because. But but is that even possible in this market? That's 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 the that's the question a lot of clubs are are looking at. You know, be it Inter, be it other clubs that um, you know, sort of need to 
bring in some money if they are to to go again, so to speak, in the in the summer transfer window, or just just cut back a little bit. Mm. Well, in the meantime, Juventus still lie third in Syria, ten points behind Inter. They have a game in hand. Inter's lead increasing over. Uh, their rivals Milan, though, after the Rossoneri lost on Sunday while Inter beat Torino 2-1. Torino, who are down in the bottom three, they do have two games in hand. Uh, but that's a very perilous situation that the Granata are in. As for Inter, eight league victories in a row now for them with Lautaro Martinez equaling his best ever Serie A tally of 14 goals. Uh, also this weekend uh, Fiorentina with a whopping 4-1 win at Benevento with a lovely hat-trick from uh, Dusan Vlajevic. Bradley State asks is uh, Dusan Vlajevic the next Fiorentina player to head to a big club elsewhere? What, what do you think James? Well I know there's interest in him um, certainly from some of the top sides in, in Serie A um, yeah, like Milan for example but he is he's priced very highly um, by by Fiorentina, and I think Fiorentina are at the stage now where they want to hold on to their best players. They've, you know, they're fed up of losing the Bernadeschis and the Chiesas. Um, uh, so I think it, it, it depends whether you can you can you can get him to sign a new deal, and you know, not then get to the final year of a contract and then have to sell. Um, so I think if they can extend his contract, then that would be great. Um, I think he's been one of the one of the few successes that Cesare Prandelli's had in his second spell because um, Vlajevic missed loads of chances before Prandelli got the job. He's now taking those chances. His third goal was absolutely wonderful in this game. Um, even even made uh, Drugovsky, the goalkeeper, get an assist because he chested it down and then turned and found the top corner. But yeah, I mean he's he's definitely a big big talent. Um, Dusan has been at Fiorentina for. For a while now, was signed by the previous sporting director, Pantaleo Corvino, who always seems to go to the Balkans, particularly Partizan Belgrade, and find a very good player, be it Milenkovic, Jovetic, um, in the past. So again, we'll have to see. Okay. Big win for Fiorentina anyway. Now, I mentioned Milan losing. That was Sunday night, a 1-0 defeat to Napoli. Just two victories in the last nine in all competitions for Milan, who have Manchester United coming up, of course, on Thursday night in the second leg of their Europa League tie. 1-1, of course, the score at Old Trafford last week. What do you think about their chances? I think they've got a very good chance. Um, they played very well, I thought, against uh, against United. It was the the least they deserved. Uh, I thought Kessie was, uh, was magnificent. Uh, less so in the weekend's game against uh, Napoli. I think the the team was tired um, after the the United trip. They got in at three or four a.m. on Friday morning. That had to become a rest day. Saturday was kind of recovery as well, so they didn't have a lot of time to prepare against Napoli. Uh, similarly with with Roma, I think Roma had, had an excellent performance against Shakhtar on Thursday, and then lost to Parma. So this Thursday Sunday grind, I think, at this stage of the season, is is, is taking a bit of a toll. But I think, you know, I mean, aside from that Daniel James chance that Mason Greenwood put on a plate for him, United created nothing from open play. Okay, they had that massive Maguire miss, but that was from a corner kick. Um, Their goal was also from a a quickly taken set piece where Tamori and and Donnarumma didn't really react quickly or didn't communicate well enough. Um, But aside from that, United did very, very little um, and I think looked basic. Um, compared with, with with the Milan side, which let's not forget was without Slatan, was without Chalinolu, was without Benacer, was without Romagnoli, was without Teo Hernandez. I mean, the list goes on. So 
you know, I mean, Zlatan had a scan, I think, on uh, on Sunday. Uh, the, the outcome of that was quite encouraging. Apparently, he wants to try and get back for for this game against against United at San Siro on Thursday. Yeah, they are a different proposition when he's up front for them. Um, so if he is fit and ready, uh, Teo's back. Um, Chalinolu wasn't great uh, in, in in the defeat to Napoli, but if they've got their best players back, um, then yeah, absolutely, they, they, they can go through. I personally think at this moment in time, it would be better for them to go out of this competition just because I think uh, the the race for the top four is really hotting up and you've, you yeah, know, Milan's kind of exceeding expectation to, to be in a title challenge for this long, but their objective at the start of the season was to stay in the Champions League and you look at what happened at the weekend, the Juventus won, Atalanta won, Lazio won, okay, Roma didn't win, but they're all breathing down Milan's neck. So this congestion that you're getting from the the Europa League is not is not particularly helpful. Mm. They've still got a six-point margin over Napoli, who are in fifth just outside the Champions League positions. But things change mighty fast in this sport of football. Jules? No, just to say I was at the game at Old Trafford and I was really impressed by Milan, considering all the players missing, the cohesion that they had, the way they were set up. And, and Casey, I thought, was... I, I would have given him the goal. I'm, I was not completely sure that the handball actually helped him in any way, but he was fantastic. And I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's a team that deserves to win that first leg anyway. And I can definitely agree with James on the sense that they can qualify on the second leg as well. But I was a bit disappointed against Napoli because probably they were tired and it was a very different game. But I, I, yeah, I was very impressed. The other Europa League ties are mostly looking a bit more sorted. Arsenal hosting Olympiacos, they're 3-1 up from the game in Perez. Granada, 2-0 up against Mulder. Villarreal, same scoreline for them as they host uh, Dinamo Kiev. Spurs against Dinamo Zagreb, uh, also 2-0 up from the first leg. Curious one, this is Dinamo will have a new manager uh, because on Monday, the previous fellow, Zoran Mamic, got sentenced to four years, eight months in prison for illegally profiting on player transfers. This is the, the case, I don't know if you remember, from 2018 that saw... Luka Modric charged with perjury during the World Cup. Uh, anyway, uh, Zoran Mamic, whose brother's Dravko, is very much the key figure in Croatian football and is right now on the run, has eight days before his sentence starts, but he's resigned anyway. Hmm. Ooh, the Rangers-Slavia Prague game looks interesting too. That's 1-1. Rangers, though, at home this time, and their record at Ibrox in all competitions this year is played 21-120, and they drew the other against Benfica. Uh, Alvaro, what are you going to be watching? I think Rangers-Savia Prague will be the best game. But of course, I'm going to keep an eye on Granada. Uh, I really want to know what they are doing because I'm so impressed with their story as well. And of course, uh, <laughs> you cannot watch every game, but I won't uh, miss, if I can, the Manchester United-Milan. But uh, I would like to praise Granada here for a second. This is mm. a team that uh, they have had so many absentees this season. Uh, they have many players that... Uh, they are quite experienced, if not old, and they have been still capable of uh, staying one more year in La Liga because I don't think that they will get relegated at all despite their defensive problems. But also in the Europa League, uh, they have traveled everywhere as if they were an experienced team in this competition. And this is the first time that they are in a Europa League uh, last 16 round and they will be in the quarterfinals unless Molde uh, makes a miracle. Alvaro, Zinedine Zidane's press conference in Madrid before the Atlanta game, he is asked... Excuse my Spanish. El regreso de Cristiano. And Zidane says, si, podría ser, podría ser. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. The return. You should translate for the people unlike us who don't speak Spanish who are listening. Yeah, but translate uh, Alvaro. 
What about Cristiano's comeback, Zinedine? Yes, it could be. It could be. That's what he said. That's, that's, that's so, the iceberg. so attractive, right? <laughs> I mean, let's put it that way. It's beautiful to, to hear things like this. But I think that... You're talking Zidane, about my Spanish accent. Thank you. Yeah. No, I think that I would like to see Zidane's expression uh, when saying that because sometimes uh, the man is very sassy and mm. uh, sometimes he laughs while he says something. I really want to see how he says that. But uh, definitely, I mean, this is a prospect that uh, has the won some, you know, touchability lately uh, because Cristiano Ronaldo uh, just uh, went knocked out in the Champions League. But yeah, there is still a long way to go, that's for sure. I mean, Real right. Madrid, they have to sort their finances. They are not so bad, but if they want to go for Mbappé, which, uh, you know, it's been the rumor for the last, the last four years, uh, how can they integrate Cristiano Ronaldo and Mbappé together in the same squad financially? All right, Alvaro. Well... That brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show European edition. A, a marathon it was too. So, listen, thank you for being with us. Uh, many thanks as well to uh, James Horncastle, Julian Deron, Raphael Honigstein, and, of course, producer Charlie. And you, listener, will be back with another edition of the show next Tuesday. There'll be loads of Totally in the meantime, though, so I do hope you join us Thursday and Monday. And have yourselves a great time. Until we see you next time, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.